Gaming in BS, episode 157, coming to you Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. Welcome to Gaming in BS, tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. I'm the other guy. Welcome back. Good to have you on board. Huh. Haunting season, man. I was up on a tree this weekend. I saw that. You know, there's serial killers up there. Yeah, well. I mean, just me and my people. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, kind of. Anyway, um, let's see here. Didn't see any deer. Plenty of squirrels. Really nice outside, though. It was gorgeous. Nice to be up in a tree and not in my desk. That was cool. Uh, what did you do today? This weekend? Anything? I did not do anything. Saturdays, I tend to really, really get lazy and I just lie around. And I I think it's my mobility does not help matters or my lack thereof. I mean, I can't go for a walk. You say you got pins your hands and a plastic boot on your foot and, hey, want to go for a run? Yeah, fuck off, Brett. (laughs) What are you going to do? Yeah. You're getting pins out, though. You're getting pins. Pins are coming out, though, right? Yeah, I think uh, pins are coming out of my thumb. Uh, two of them, but the they're about the thickness of a nice uh, finishing nail. Nice. Yeah, probably about an inch and a half. I gotta give. I gotta think they're at least an inch and a half. One's probably two inches. Well, if they come in with a, they'll come in with a claw hammer and a two by four for leverage. You'll be fine. Just just hold still. It'll be good. Yeah. Well, the nice thing about them is they come with pretty round balls at the top. Ah, okay. So, so they're not like uh, head. What are they? Flatheads, I guess. Yeah, not like a nasty yeah. flatheaded finishing nail, which would just dig right in your hide. That'd be terrible. Yeah. So yeah, All right. that hopefully that'll be done and off this week. And your wife's but, recovering. Uh, That's good. She's recovering today. I didn't. Uh, you know, it's pretty much clean house day. Getting show notes ready day. Hey, Brad, it's our birthday today. Oh, shit. It is three years ago today. Three years ago today, September 17th, we're recording this. Wow. We dropped our first episode. Damn. Three years of crazy. Shit. Three, <laughs> three years. years. <laughs> right. You should start at one and work your way forward. I should totally do that. Uh, yeah. You'd be surprised at how much shit we're covering again. Well, it's almost impossible not to touch on certain things after three Just years. Like recent, like recently, though. I don't know. No, not really. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. what? Give me one. I think what did we cover recently that was like, um, God damn it. There was like episode three was one that we just covered recently. Could have been. Don't know. I'm, I'm listening to all of the back catalog so that Are I you? can, so I can put episode 200 together. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, see, the problem is my my editor, Sean, is not paying attention to the the topics I'm throwing out there. I'm trying to take them slightly different, but it depends, Sean. It just depends. Give this guy guy one fucking (laughs) job. job. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I knew knew we'd hit a couple of them um, more than once. There's no two ways around that. It's going to happen. I know we talked about arms and equipment before, and today when we get to wear and tear and stuff, and I have this one's based on a recent example. And just some kind of high level thoughts around it, but I don't, I can't remember what we've talked about recently. I know the whole mucking with um, levels and point buying characters has not necessarily been talked about before that I can think of. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Well, anyway, let's talk about some announcements and uh, we'll see where I'm wrong. Yeah. Ah, so event registration for Game Hole Con. If you're not coming to Game Hole Con. The hell, man! Get the game whole con. It's gonna be fun. First weekend in in November, Sean and I and the rest of the BSers will be there in force, having fun, um, gaming, having some beer, just relaxing, BSing back and forth. It's gonna be a good time. Hope folks can make it. Let's see here. Evercon submissions and pre-regs open uh, for the first weekend in January of 2018. Um, link in the show notes to evercon.org. You can get into that con, 35 bucks. You pre-reg, you get in. It's going to be fun. We could always use more people running some really cool games, so I'm hoping the uh, 
uh, Wisconsin area BSers can make their way up to Evercon and uh, lend me a hand and get some games running. I think uh, you guys should adapt a theme song for Evercon. And the Such. one that comes comes to mind is Cherokee. Cherokee, does Europe play? I think Europe does that, right? Cherokee. People, yeah. Cherokee tribe. That one? No, 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 no not that I'm one. I'm like, okay, good one. God, don't Cherokee. do that. No, it's, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Evercon. Evercon! Yeah, I don't know what that is. All right, moving on. <laughs> I will I will put a link in the show notes. I think it's Cherokee by I think it's by Europe. Okay. Final countdown, guys. Sure. Yeah. I hate Cherokee, that too. Cherokee Evercan. All right, moving on. Get uh, up there and play some games Evercan. Oh god. Oh, I just lost half my attendees. Um, I haven't sung I haven't sung for a while. You haven't sung yet, actually, if you were, if you were to ask me. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. That's what you get for picking on my topic ideas. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I am speaking of uh, more fun things uh, than listening to Sean. We have uh, Phil, Chris, and some of the encoded guys in our meeting tomorrow on uh, Monday, uh, September the 18th, to talk about some Evercom planning and see what we can come up with. My hope is after that, we'll have some things we can uh, share out around uh, timelines for the Kickstarter and so on. So I'm excited, but I also want we're trying to pace ourselves and not do something reckless and stupid if we don't have time to manage things appropriately. So we'll get that sorted out. And once I know more, I will tell everybody here. So are we ready? Uh, one more thing. Gamers versus Harvey still going for the month of September. Um, I know we've got about 300 bucks donated directly already. So we've got about a little over half, a little less than half of the month after this drops. Um, if you're interested in taking part or knowing what the hell I'm talking about, head to www.gamersfeedhouston.com. Um, some podcasts that are helping out Closet Gamer, uh, Drink Spin Run, uh, yours truly, Hobbs and Friends of the OSR. Playing and Slaying, uh, She's a Super Geek, uh, Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, and The Wild Die Podcast. Now, those are the ones that are actively um, going to chip in and send some some monies to that charity uh, because of Hurricane Harvey, the dickhead, dumped a bunch of water in Houston. Uh, other podcasts may have helped. Um, thank you, everybody out there that for spreading the word and individuals that have been spreading the word and those how we... Uh, you could help us is become a patron in the month of September, um, and we charge you for a couple episodes or four episodes. We're going to take all that, send it down, and then you guys can drop off and reduce your reduce or eliminate your patronage to the show if you'd like. But that's what we're going to send all our shit for September. Cool. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. That'll be cool. That'll be neat to do. Yeah. And then, God, man, another freaking hurricane's hitting towards Puerto Rico and shit. We're going to have to turn around and uh, have uh, g- gamers feeding Florida after this one. That's what's going to happen next. I even, yeah, I don't even know what uh, to do. Oh, Lord. All right, man. All right. Let's get in a random encounter. Random encounter. Wow. Did, God damn it. My freaking. All right. My iPod. What's <laughs> fucking. Uh, three years. So weird. Uh, Anyways. Random encounter. Random encounter, yeah. We've got a bunch of voicemails, emails, social media comments. Uh, The first few, John, Jared, Matt, uh, and Angela um, all talk about the last episode, 156, where we're talking about point by exactly so john hammersley on google plus says character creation differences in point by games seems like it would be less of an issue than with level-based games dnd etc most level-based games tend to have a significant power increase as you level one versus five plus dcc might be an example where the power differences between levels are mitigated by the inherent randomness of the system if the table's in agreement about how you do it and it creates fun then so be it one plus one Ah, indeed. Jared Rasher, uh, I can't help but be more fiddly about my house rules. So if I end up giving the PC something, I usually quantify the hell out of it and try to make it measurable across the board. I may let them get away with the weird 
uh, crap in session, but by golly, that character sheet's going to be logically structured. Uh, the gamers, the Game Master's Guide for Mutants and Masterminds had two options for creating characters in it that uh, dovetail with what Brett was talking about. First option was to come up with a character concept and a general idea of what the hero can do, and then just build until it looks right. The second option was to set a power level cap, but not a cap on points spent, so you can never have more than rank X in a power. But if you were building, say, your Martian Manhunter-like character, you can throw telepathy, flight, heat vision, shape-shifting, super strength, and density control on him without worrying about point totals. I do remember that some of the second edition AD&D kits would allow you access to skills early so you had a more than a first level character might otherwise have, but you had to pay for them later. But then later books did the same thing with kits. Didn't require you to pay back the proficiency slots, and then kits murdered everything good and right out right about second edition. Okay. I might have gone off on a tangent. Sorry about that. <laughs> that was the uh, beginning of Splatbook Hell for D&D was second edition. Yeah. Interesting, though. I like that's kind of the, the general theme from the last show, right? Was if it's okay with your table, then do it. And if it's a point by system, obviously, or at least it seems obvious to me anyway, and to these folks that it's easier to let you build your character to what you want it to be using you know, points or kind of gimmies if you need to. All right, Matt Martinez. It's never come up, but I can only see get, maybe giving a player an extra point or two if they feel like they really need it to realize a character concept. However, I would never let a player start at a higher level than anyone else. At that point, they become a de facto star as a far more capable than the rest of the group. For example, a fifth-level fighter in D&D grouped with a bunch of first-level PCs would pretty much make the other group members unnecessary. It's kind of like one big problem people who write Justice League stories have to address. Why would Superman need to be on a team? <laughs> Fair point. Although, Matt, I would go back at you at this one, and I would say, Matt, hang on a second. What type of adventure in D&D is a fifth-level fighter going to kick ass all the time? There's no magical locks. There's no traps. There's no stealth needed, and so on. Um, if you know healing... And so forth, you need to have those other character classes in a D&D game. So even if the, you only had a first-level cleric with you, it's still going to be handy at some point. And the wizard and uh, the spells and all that good stuff, too. So I get where you're going. Eh, I just don't know if that example sticks with me yet. Sean's rolling his eyes at me. Dude, fifth-level, man, versus first-level? Fuck, yeah. That, it's not versus. This that, isn't a competition, dude. No, I'm saying fifth-level and a bunch of first-level dweebs. That guy's going to walk all over the place, man. Yeah, maybe a spellcaster lofts one and he fails a save, but otherwise, man, all that's he healing shit. I buy some potions. That guy, he's going to have like freaking 40 hit points. Okay. All the mother dweebs are going to have like six. Well, that's why the hill jank always beats the shit out of the fighter while uh, goblins attack the party. He's got to have something to do, right? Attacking goblins isn't ready for, I mean, that's not good enough for that fighter. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's where the storm yeah, giant comes in. Like super cleave, man. And he just while he just walks through all that crap. Maybe. Anyway, you can read that. You should set that up, Brett. Set it up. Set it up. <laughs> set it up. Run it, Brett. I'll be fifth level fighter guy. Sure, I'll keep you busy. All right. Show you how effective I am. There you go. <laughs> what is that? Wait, no, let's say say four first levels and a fifth level. What is that? That's that's a ninth level divided by. Five. It's a CR2. What the hell? What CR? Why do you, why would you use such a thing? You've never played Challenge D &D rating? Never seen D&D before? You, you need you need a little uh, little uh, walker there? Help you get along? Little, ba little baby steps? Help you help you run the game there? Need a little challenge rating? <laughs> yeah, mister, I'm going to throw a dragon at a first level party. If it's done right, it works well. Done right? Yeah. You should toast them. Why? Well, that's if you play a dragon one way. Anyway, read read Angie's. Dragon wants food. Dragon needs food badly. There's no difference then. So a first level character tastes the same as a fifth level character. That's not true. Fifth level characters are stringy. Been around for a while. A lot of scar tissue. 
Gamey. Kind of gamey. Kind of gamey. They're like roadkill. <laughs> a little bit. Angela Murray emails us. She's from the Gnomes. Gnome Stew. Hey, guys. I've had thoughts on recent episodes, but I haven't had a chance to write in. This episode, though, I felt strongly enough about uh, that I had to make time. Even though you tilted it as being about point-by systems, you were totally talking about PC balance. Yeah. She's going to she's gonna just put... Here we go. Strap in, buddy. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I was going to make this all right. Uh-huh. Using movies and books as references isn't always the best example for arguments on whether PCs and RPGs should be balanced. Jason Moore can be a badass that outclasses everyone else because he's the main protagonist and the only one we care about. Aragorn can be more competent than Pippin because the author-director chooses who to focus on for any given scene, and it doesn't matter if they get all get if they all get equal screen time. You don't get that luxury at the game table. Every player needs the equal opportunity to have their character involved in the game. Ultimately, each character should be treated as a primary protagonist to the story, the ultimate ensemble cast. Fantastic GM may be able to keep the spotlight moving around the table enough to accommodate a level-slash-power disparity between the characters, but not every GM is that skilled, and even for those that are, that's a lot of work. Yeah. I, I, and my, my response is, yeah, it is. And? I, I, I mean, honestly, providing, and then we continue. Continue. Providing some degree of balance between the PCs puts a mechanism in place that gives the players equal footing at getting their characters involved in the action of the game. It also makes it easier for the GM to spread the focus around the table. I know I've been in games before where balance was ignored and the GM wasn't very good at making sure every PC got a chance to matter to the story. Invariably, the player with the best character dominated the game and the GM either couldn't rein them in or didn't realize the other PCs were taking a back seat. Another factor to consider is that a full point buy system doesn't, uh, does tap, blah, blah, blah. Another factor to consider is that a full point buy system does totally allow for different ideas, but also inherently creates balance. The example you provided of the grizzled vet versus the new hacker kid just says to me that the vet put his points into skills and knowledge while the hacker kid put his points into equipment. They're both both equally competent in their chosen niche. I appreciated that you did clarify that everyone needs to be on the same page about starting with an imbalance between the PCs. As I said, I know a good GM would make it work, but as a player... I would have to have a great deal of trust in the GM and the other players to agree to it. Anyway, still love you guys. Anj. So her last bit there is obviously the the key piece, right? Tongue in cheek, my other comment up above. Um, But yes, you've got to have a game master who knows how to make it work, and you have to have a group that wants to do it. So my point is that if it is a type of it, a type of story, type of whatever that you want to emulate the genre you want to emulate where it's a Lord of the Rings thing where someone's more powerful than somebody else or if it's a Jason Bourne emulator or whatever you're trying to make happen at the table. If that is a thing that everybody says, yes, I'm totally fine with that and we trust you, Sean, to be the game master who can help make sure the first level character is just as much uh, street spot level time as the 10th level mage or the grizzled whomever or whatever. So, yes, it it does take that stuff and... That is a piece that I don't think I'm. I'm on positive we didn't call it out. So, thank you, Ainge, for calling that out because it's very true. If you don't have the trust between the players and the game master, even if everybody believes like, yeah, I know Sean will totally try this, but that Brett guy's just such a dick at the table. If he has, you know, you get a problem players and so on, which you may everybody might think, well, the game master could totally pull it off, but I don't think that Brett guy at the table could could handle it. It wouldn't be a good idea. It doesn't, we tried it and it doesn't work for us or something. So, and I would also state that I would hesitate strongly to do anything like this with a brand new group of players that I've not gamed with before, or even at a convention game without being incredibly clear up front. And I don't know even then how well that would work. So, Angie's points are as always well stated and very valid. All right. 
Bill Durfee is coming at me for my mistakes episode. Here we go. That, that's one of the ones we covered before. That's the one. What? We had, we had a Brett's mistakes episode really, really early on. Yeah, no, this is, these are new and improved mistakes, man. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we, we talked about mistakes we've made before in the past. And it, as, as before, you had no mistakes. So this is just. I did a, not? I, yeah, I did. I don't remember. In the earlier episodes, I admitted. <laughs> I've, grown, I've grown since You've then. You've grown past that? Okay. <laughs> well, I, so the reason I pulled that one back out, Sean, is because I f- really fucked those up. I wanted, to, I wanted to tell people I fucked that up, so please, God, don't do what I did. They were different ones. What's that? They're I know they're different ones. mistakes. <laughs> the key is don't make the same mistakes twice, and it's okay. That's why I, oh, tell, that's my, true. That's why I tell my staff. Somebody fucks up, and I'm like, oh, Brad, I did this. Like, dude, everybody gets one. Don't make the same mistake twice, and we won't have a problem. So like 140 episodes later, like all those 140 weeks you've been yeah, fucking I finally, shit up. Well, no. <laughs> That's, oh, man, I don't even like you anymore. <laughs> wow. Wow. That, this is so mean. I'm sorry, man. Anyway, let me get let me read Bill Durfee's why. You're above and better than me, Brett, because you are self-aware. All right. I'm not. <laughs> I'm at, at least, the table thinking everything, but he's having a grand old time. At least you're, there... you're self-aware of the fact that you're not self-aware. So you're, you're in some kind of weird Mobius strip of denial and awareness. Touche. All right. So Bill Durfee on my mistakes episode. Must have been a mistake when Sean mislabeled the episode, but Sean doesn't make mistakes. Another great episode about point build systems. He goes into that one. Uh, I always think the classic Twilight 2000 where your character was either low rank, low skill point, beast man, or high rank. High skill little man. My longest running campaign of that was when I gave them two characters. One was a section commander with an infantry platoon, and the other was a soldier with someone else's section. The worry with military gaming is always that no one wants to take orders. But in this situation, if you don't take orders when the PC <clears throat> when the other PC is giving them, you really can't bitch about it when he isn't taking yours. Everybody liked their main section commander character more than their effing dumb grunt character. <laughs> Everyone seemed to have fun. I want to play Monopoly with Brett, but to simulate real Monopoly, I need a million dollars in Park Place. Good game in y'all. Bill and Wuxia, China. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, have you ever played Twilight 2000? I have not. I have not either. I have I have read it ages back. I've talked to other people who've done We have talked about military games in the past, the chain of command concept that I know, how difficult it can be to have people ordering people around because of rank. And that's even Dan's piece. And when we did talk about that, it's another thing you really need to be very clear with everybody that look, if you're the lieutenant and the guy next to you is a private, he can order you around or you can order that person around and uh, talk about trust <laughs> and worry about being abused. But anyway, is Bill still over in China or did he come back? I don't know if he's, I think he, that's where he was signed off from. Man. I thought he was back in the States already. Anyway, Bill, hope I hope he makes it over to Gary Count again. That's usually when we see him. That's right. All right. Steve, over to you. Steve Orlick emails us, I'm not going to count my new GM learning curve on any of my deliberate experiments that didn't go so well as mistakes. However, there's one glaring faux pas that I had running my 5e campaign that still bothers me when I think of it. I had set up an encounter involving assassins sneaking into an inn where the party was start uh, staying while the characters were asleep. Oh, yeah. That one's always a good one. Oh, you're in the inn? Going to sleep? Sounds good. Roll for instant kill! Sorry, let's carry on. <laughs> Everybody give me a d20 roll. Uh, between the surprise round and good initiative rolls for the assassins, two of the four party members were dropped before they could do anything. Healing couldn't be done as some of the assassins were wizards that dropped silent spells in the rooms where the characters were. Most of that session was spent watching one player lying on the kitchen floor playing with the dog and another player on Skype leaving the screen for minutes at a time since their characters weren't involved in the game. That whole situation bummed me out. Other than that, I'm like Sean, perfect in every way. Yeah, man, that's all right. (laughs) Keep on with the BS like I just did with that previous sentence. Oh. Hey. Steve Orlick. You know, Steve, yeah. I have, I think we have all been there at some point where you have this really cool tactical 
thing you're going to do. And it turns into a complete fucking mess where you're like, wow, this will be shocking and amazing. And my dice are murdering the characters. And I didn't really totally mean to do that. And you don't want to do total GM fiat where like, okay, um, the heroic paladin breaks in the door and saves the day. I, it's, it's, that's a tough deal. It's a tough deal. When you have um when you have players physically checking out because they're like, Well, I got nothing to do. Ay ay ay. I have had that happen back in high school. That was a that's a, that's a thing I think a lot of us have run into one way or another over the years. Ugh, not fun. All right. Thanks for sharing, Steve. Awesome, man. Uh and VC Young poses a question to us on the G Pluses. Thought for y'all. What are your opinions on using a system like Benny's? to allow the players to add location slash loot to the game. The thought here comes from a game I'm working on where PCs are going to be doing kingdom building. They're going to uh, lose their home slash stronghold to do acts, and they're going to have to start uh, their own from scratch. I like the idea of Benny's and Boon slash Bane systems. I thought about adding one of them to the game and thought about allowing PCs to exchange the Bennies for other things. Instead of spending a Benny to help you on your role when exploring... Uh, the world, one of the PCs, or maybe as a group, could sacrifice a number of bennies, and they could uh, tell me they come across X location. Maybe it's an abandoned cottage, a camp with creatures, a recently attacked caravan, etc. Or maybe they could spend X amount of bennies to add or change the loot they would acquire during their adventure to help with the kingdom build aspect. PCX spends X bennies, or the group, and in addition to finding loot, they also find a shipment of lumber, which they can use for building. Or maybe there's a local sediment that is missing, and the shipment... Uh, missing the shipment, and now they have a choice of what to do with it. What are your thoughts? Sean, what do you think, man? Um, well, I think it's giving too much shit to the players, and, uh, you know, as a game master... You play Savage Worlds. You hand out bennies all the time. Well, yeah, but that's in the rules. Oh, I see. It's in the rule book, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not really. Kind of. Maybe. Sort of. Yeah, it's fine. I don't know if there's games that do that. Um, play Dungeon World. That You can just alleviate bennies altogether and just start asking questions. Well, yeah. Or you could, um, let's see here. If you want to codify it like that, <clears throat> I think it's a neat idea, VC. I don't know. I'd have to n- sit down with you perhaps and say, okay, what are you trying to accomplish and so on. But it feels like it's a kingdom build slash a type of hex crawly thing that that you're trying to do, VC. And maybe I'm totally off on this. But well, what's the what econ- what's the what's the economy, right? Yeah, like that's how do they gonna, get the bennies? Yeah. Yep. I was gonna say is it sounds good, but is it that you start with a stack of poker chips at the beginning and that's all you get for the game? Um, that'll be different than experience points turned into bennies turned into blah 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 blah. So I think understanding the account the the, the goal you have of allowing it to be used to add locations and loot or change things around could be cool, especially if you got players you can trust that aren't going to do something asinine. Like, I, I find the Axe of the Dwarves Lords. Oh, look at that. There's a Benny. I get the Hand of Vecna. Um, so as long as it's not going crazy stupid, it totally makes sense, especially if you can use it to modify things. Like, yeah, we could really use some building supplies. So we find a, hey, we'll chip in X amount and find a barge that has building supplies on it. It's an abandoned barge. It's from a town up the river. And, you know, have a back and forth with the Game Master or whatever to come up with a reason why you have this boon, but yet there's a uh, there's a bane that comes with it um, where the town up upstream, if you don't give it back to them, you could have make an enemy and so on and so forth. So I like it. I think it's a neat idea. I'd be interested to see more about how, as Sean says, what's the economy? How do you get them? And let's, are they only used for that? Or are they also used for die rolls? You know, is it a single Benny that's used for all these different things? Or are there Bennies for in-game actions and then Bennies for post-game, or not post-game, but post-action stuff like finding loot or, or locations? Kind of hex crawl Bennies versus adventure Bennies, maybe. I don't know. Talking out loud there, VC, but uh, more info, sir. That's what I say. Yeah, and is it where you, as a DM, would not think of these things, and you would want the players to drive that? So that's that's what the purpose of these are. Um, uh, Edge of the Empire. That's you know, that's what an advantage is. Like, oh hey, I, I um, 
I'm going to weld the door shut. Oh, you got a spot welder? Oh, I do now. And you just spend a destiny point. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. One. We did that a number of times playing with you. Lights, light, light side point. Yeah. Oh, we need we need this shit light side point. That's totally worth a light side point. That takes two. All right, we'll spend two. Yeah, I remember doing that a lot with Kevin Austin and such with you. Kind of goes back and forth. Those, it's, those are the purpose of those is it's, that's really easy because you have X amount per player. You have like a player rolls a die each one, and you might get two dark side, one light side, or nothing or two light side, and that's it. And then they flip back and forth. So the swing of the game is that everything, if they if the players are very heavy on the light side and they spend them all, well, everything's going to be going good for them. And one, you know, in, in a pretty decent, I mean, if they keep spending all the light side and the GM doesn't spend dark side, so everything's going well for the players. Peachy keen, super awesome. Until? And then... Until they run out of light side, and then the GM's got all of them and maybe hasn't been spending them. And then it's all doom and gloom. All that shit hits the fan. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, no, I think the... Uh, exactly. I think um, as obnoxious as I get around balance and so on and so forth, I think in a case like this, if you're going to... The players have a very clear major advantage to make the story or the setting or the monsters or the magic items or the loot or whatever it is, be exactly what they want to be or close to exactly what they want. Some way where that backs up so the NPCs, you as a game master, then can get those dark side points to Sean's example and say, no, I don't think that's what happened here. And you don't want to have it so I spend a penny. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. You don't. It, it's not. You don't want to get it like that. But uh, kind of almost like the GM intrusions type of thing from a Cypher system perspective. So right. BC, if we do not hear more about it from here, man, I'll be interested to, when uh, you're at Gamehold to hear uh, more of what you have to say about this because this sounds uh, this could be interesting. I think the one thing, last thing about VC's um, proposal question inquiry is that if you don't have players, I know there are players that play role playing games, and when they sit down at the table, they are expecting the game master to come up with all the shit that VC talks about. That yes, is, they are like true. if you pose. If you pose that question to a player and go, hey, man, I'm going to give you these bennies and you can make up shit. The player, you go, you're going to get one player that's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, dude. You tell me what's going on. You tell me what the environment's like. You tell me what's in the loot. And then I decide whether I want to take it or what I want to do with it. And I mean, there's guys that like, this isn't the game I want to play, man. I don't, I'm not here to make up my shit. That's the game master's job. Yeah, there's. We've talked about this before, where there's sometimes it's a style thing. Some players are in for it, and other players don't give a shit. Right. Uh, I absolutely agree. All right, let's get on topic. On to topic. (laughs) All right. So what I want to talk about here, we have talked a bit about it. We've talked about equipment, uh, gear, retainers, and so on in the past. I think we have touched on this in part. But I've been playing, um, had a chance I've been playing some uh, 5th edition uh, D&D. Buddy of mine's running a game. Alpha's running, which is cool. My other buddy Nick is running a um, Shadowrun 5th edition game. So I got to play that. Is Alpha running a homebrew or is is Alpha running a homebrew? Curse Strahd. Is he running? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's fun. He's doing a really, really good job with it. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so the Shadowrun game is what really threw this to me. We went through, did this big thing. We're over in Europe, blowing shit up, shooting people, this, that, and the other thing. We're getting shot, blowing things up, <laughs> as you do, right? Um, end up in the desert, holy hell, everything's going crazy. And this concept of equipment getting used up, destroyed, or blown up. And for some reason, it really... It never seems to bother me much in my D&D type games, my fantasy games, where I look at it and say, ah, well, I have the same shield now that I've had for the last five levels. Never spent a copper on uh, keeping it repaired or anything. I've been beat on by giants, ogres, goblins, you know, thieves, bandits, brigands, whatever, and the shield still is in perfectly serviceable condition. For whatever reason, I buy that in my fantasy game. But in my Shadowrun game, there was a point where I'm like, well, I think... My guy's a sniper, and I went through, and I went, well, I, I, shit, there's no way my gun, there's no way my gun's going to work anymore. We had this encounter happen, 
And the group's like, no, that's fine. It's fine. You can, your gun's fine. And I looked at him. I'm like, no, it's not. I, I don't, I don't think it should be. Um, and we kind of discussed it and we agreed that, well, we haven't been keeping track of that stuff. It's fine. Maybe in the future we will and so on. Anyway, I was curious about this component and the reasons why you'd want to deal with using up or damaging equipment and so on. But basically that kind of, it's used up, it's worn out type of thing. Sean, have you ever played a game or run a game where that was a thing you took into consideration? Weapons, equipment, anything, sci-fi, fantasy, anything? A little bit of the ammo might have come into play. Oh, yes, ammo. That's a classic one, right? Yeah. Um, You know, on a break, right? We used to do like a roll on a one, roll again on another one, on a roll of another one. Something might bad happen. Something bad may happen to your weapon. Oh, like a fumble. So it might, well, kind of, but it could be a break. We okay. did, I mean, if you, in my typical games of mine, uh, if you're rolling like a one, even if it's not like formal and you roll another one, I'll well, roll it again and another one. I mean, if the person rolls four ones in a row, I mean, your weapon is toast. But that's maybe not a you rule, stab Sean. That sounds horribly unbalanced, Sean. How can you do this? Not in rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he just, <laughs> oh, that was that was that was to fun. My, to, to, my, to my rules, Brett. <laughs> so one of the reasons why <clears throat> I've seen this a couple times when people talked about it. I remember reading old Dragon Magazine articles about it and a few other different sources. Of, I'll find stuff online periodically. Somebody chats about it. And one of the reasons you want to do it is realism. People will tout it as, oh, it's realism. And <clears throat> yes, if you're in hand-to-hand combat and a giant beats the shit out of you, your plate mail is damaged, bruised, battered, beaten, and dinged. Chances are it needs to be at least a saving throw or something to indicate that it's fine. And that non-magical sword you've been using, wailing on those uh, Gelabdur, the big horrible rock creatures from, um, I think it was Monster Manual 2, 2nd Edition AD&D, and various other horrible stony creatures. Or that sniper rifle you use to club a guy with. <laughs> or, you know, that you know AR-15 that you were using as a paddle <laughs> down the Amazon because that's what you guys had. Might be, you know, want realism, realism. <clears throat> Honestly, what I found the best reason to do it is more along resource management than realism. It's not as an opportunity. What I usually find beneath the covers is it's an opportunity to um, bleed cash from player characters. The classic, oh, I'm out of ammo. Oh, you have a, you know, Barrett 50 cal sniper rifle. Yeah, that ammo's expensive. You gotta go buy some more. Oh, your your archer is out of arrows. He's useless unless he has these things. Um, <clears throat> I've I've yet to really find a decent way mechanically, and I'm positive there are games out there, and somebody's gonna be yelling into them at their uh, speakers right now about this. I've yet to find a decent mechanical way that deals with um, wear and tear on equipment. So. <clears throat> what I've usually found systemically with a game systemically, systematically or system-based, system-based, there I'll use that word, system-based words, excuse me, two words, um, are systems with critical hits or fumbles. <clears throat> excuse me, those kind of charts where, or if it's a rust monster attacks, you have to make a saving throw or something. But your critical hit chart or your critical fumble chart will say, oh, your leg greaves are destroyed. Your helmet is crushed. Um... Renders your armor useless, rends your shield. I remember there were feats in Pathfinder and D&D and other D20 systems, right? Rend. You could break things. You could smash somebody's magical gear even with that stuff. Um, I mean, Sunder. Sunder. Thank you. I kept thinking Rend. But, oh, Rend. Rend is when you pull somebody apart. Yeah, Rending is tearing people apart. Sundering is breaking gear. Thank you. Hey, no, no problem, Brett. I get him confused. That's Okay. Been sundering. Right, I've been sundering people. I just want to reach long. through and pat Brett on, like pat Brett on the pat Brett on the head. Like he's so excited right now. <laughs> nice. So, do you? So seriously though, is this something that that bothers you at all, or do you not even care in your games, or is it more setting system specific, like D anD D versus Star Wars? Because even when we played Edge of Empire, we never thought about unless there was a something bad happened in the system, like ah. 
you're all a bunch of fucked ups, so therefore yeah. you're fucked up and your blaster explodes in your hand or something. Bunch of, bunch of disadvantages. The GM can enact and enable stuff. And usually it, it's even just, I mean, your weapon runs out of ammo. Like your your gel packs are done. They're ex- they're finished. You don't have any more. That's usually in a combat, right? Because you're usually rolling and then all you're like, oh, you got three disadvantages and a failure and no successes. I'm going to say your weapon's out of ammo. Shit. And in, in Cypher System, you could, you've got the GM intrusions, right? We could be like, well, yes. um, no, this is what happens. Right. Or they could buy that off. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And but I've, again, but you got to spend it, right? Then that's, yes. there's a spend there, right? Resource yep. management. I'm bleeding either cash or points from you. Now, right. You run Savage Worlds, uh, obviously, a hell of a lot more than I do. If I had Blessing here or um, Sexy Voice Serrano, I'd ask them. But yeah. can you use Bennies to- but you, get, you got me. I know that's all I got. <laughs> down to my I'd third. Ask them, but uh, since, I'm, since you're here, fuck it, man. I'm down to my third choice. Um, can I use? Could you, as a game master, use Benny's to wreck my gear with like a critical hit or something? Uh, I don't recall if there is a specific rule for that. I don't know. I don't know if I would do that necessarily, like to dick the player over. Maybe it depends. Depends who the player is, right? Some guys. <laughs> God damn it. Hey, there you go, Ron Blessing. It depends. Blah, 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 blah. It depends. Blah, blah, blah. And it's Savage Worlds, and it's, it depends. <laughs> I think, though, there is, when something like that happens in combat, you either roll the one, there's a fumble chart, something bad happens, oh, you roll the dice, and you got a huge disadvantage pool, there's a GM intrusion, or something like that that can be done. Ah, I mess with your equipment. Uh, your armor is useless. Your laser gun no longer has power or whatever. Your lightsaber fizzles, whatever happens. I think we buy that kind of naturally as part of the randomness of combat and the tension that can come out of a combat situation. So those I find to be the easiest way mechanically to deal with it. Outside of combat, I don't see a lot of people like, oh, Sean, you and uh you and Ange and you know, Eileen were adventuring and you didn't bother to oil your leather armor and check the straps on your plate mail and nobody's oiled their swords in months. Those things are rusty and useless now. I had a, I had a game master in high school that would do that. He would like every once in a while just randomly fuck you over. I pull my sword. No, you can't. Why? Well, it's rusty. You haven't been checking. You haven't been cleaning your weapons at all. Why wouldn't I clean my weapons? I'm a fighter. Oh, you never told me you did. So I just assume you don't. So (laughs) I had people like that. Yeah. Well, it puts value on the mend spell yes it does it totally does yeah, some wizards are like i'm taking mend and they're like i never took that damn spell well if you don't have a gm or a dm that's gonna put you know put the put you in a situation where you need to use it why would you take it <laughs> exactly i have um so from those system mechanical the other piece is that i have found narratively speaking story-based narrative-based um Players, we talked about this a little bit before, too, where you could sacrifice equipment to save yourself from something. We talked about this in a previous episode. I can't recall which one. So, of course, you got to start at one and work your way forward, where you could say, hey, um, I, you know, Sean's, the ogre comes up, smashes my dwarf, and it's a big hit, and Sean can say, well, or I could just sunder your shield and uh, Sacri- sacrifice the breastplate. Sacrifice the bless- breastplate, and then yeah, I'll give you five points of damage instead, but no more armor. All right, cool. I'll yeah. do it. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, wheel and deal. I love wheeling and dealing. Wheeling and dealing, right? Wheeling and dealing. Hey, hey, let's make a deal. Yep. The other thing <laughs> I've found um, with this is when characters want to go shopping, the dreaded shopping scenario where some game, oh my God, the players want to go shopping. Oh, I fucking hate this. We've talked about this a little they go bit. To a shop that has the, they go to a shop that has the entire player's, player's handbook. <laughs> list of equipment. Yep, I, they got everything. I have had times when I've told the players, well, um, you just came out of the swamp of no return. You just battled the Lizard King and all of his minions, and you're back in, you know, Adventure Town. <sighs> well, after spending all this time, so on and so forth, you guys are probably like, you know, 20 gold pieces worth of uh, just equipment repairs and replacements. Um, 
buckles on your armor may have rusted or fallen apart. The swords need oil. Edges need to be put back on. Axes need to be rehafted. And boy, that could really use a new bowstring archer. And throwing something like that at the players, they go, yeah, whew, that totally makes sense. Kind of in that story downtime piece, <clears throat> excuse me, to add a bit of realism to it, but more narrative-based, story-based realism versus trying to, all right, everybody make a saving throw for all your gear. Or, hey, check every blaster in the group and every ion shield on your ship and just make sure that they're all fully charged or whatever. Taking it that way is, I think, a for me, I found it to be a better way to get players and game masters to care about equipment by looking at the way the story came out and think about the quote unquote realis- realistic effect of having been on you know a, a desert planet planet a desert planet fighting you know horrible creatures and this that and the other thing and then finally leaving you might have to you know, change your still suit or do something a little bit different because it's just worn, it's just beaten. And narratively speaking, I think that can be an easy sell for a lot of characters as opposed to trying to make them make different skill checks or even necessarily build a mechanic into it. I don't, I don't even think you need a mechanic outside of the, the combat mechanic is helpful because it's very immediate. Oh my God, I, my, my shield has been broken. Oh my God, they've punctured through our, our you know, albedo suit. Ah, I'm in trouble. So I, I found that that has worked pretty well for me in the past. What do you think about that, Sean? Is that does that jive with you, or you think I'm crazy? Or no, I think no, I think I agree. It's good stuff. You gotta it it ah, it's such a balance though, because if you get too crazy, then it's then it gets yeah, I don't know. No, I think you're dead Is right. It? I think you're That's- dead right. If it, if it's too much, it's it's too much, and you can kind of tell. Right. So if, yeah. when you run games, do you think about that stuff, or do your player have your players ever brought it up? Uh, I, the arrows usually come up, like the ammo. So give me a roll. You retrieve so many, whatever you know, uh, that are in good shape, haven't splintered. Okay. The arrow thing I think is kind of interesting because you're out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have the uh, never-ending quiver. <laughs> that's true that's very you know, true say you want to be a missile weapon person all right you know keep kind of track of that stuff some people don't get into that they don't care and sometimes it's too much bookkeeping and you know but that's I don't know but that's where the the cool thing with like the dark side approach or yeah. when somebody fails you know they roll, they roll a zero and say you have roll a d6 why just roll a d6 five you have five arrows left fuck Really? Yeah, you got five arrows left. Son of a bitch. That could be a fumble. That could be a critical. That's another way to come at the equipment and wear it down. I don't know. D&D and arrows would be different, though. Because I think in Star Wars or even in Star Wars or Savage Worlds or like when you're using machine guns or pew-pew weapons, there isn't kind of, well... Bullets are bullets, okay? So maybe there's rounds, okay? You've got a clip that holds 30, okay? But like in Star Wars and laser laser beams, it's there's ambiguity. There isn't like, well, how many how many laser beams can I shoot? Like I got a laser beam, a 30 a 30 pack laser beam. That was in so uh, think, Star Star Frontiers, man. You picked up a laser gun or a Gauss rifle. It all had n- charges, number probably. of charges, yeah. Yeah. Which probably, you know, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I always get like into Star Wars and like gel packs and, you know, battery packs are kind of like charges, but you never really know, or maybe it's faulty yeah. or it dissipates. No, Where I get when it. you're in D&D and you're shooting an arrow, like how the fuck do I only have five arrows now? When I start out with 20 and we've just had one combat. Yeah, no, I get it. I get so that it. may be, that to me, arrows would be, okay, you sh- how many did you shoot? Six. You know, give me a roll on six of them, anything 50% or higher, and they're they're good shape. Anything else, scratch them. Fair. I think that's a fair point. The other yeah. the other thing I, I think, instead of having to always be GM force, one of the other things I don't mind and I actually enjoy is when players will say, I need to go to a leather worker. I want to have all the straps replaced on my plate mill. Why? I'm like, what, what do you mean? Well, I've just been down in Undermountain for the last two months. Uh... 
I'd like to at least have the dents pounded out of my armor by an actual armorer, put it back into shape. It's probably very uncomfortable at this point. We should probably uh, get new boots, new this, new that. I've had players bring that type of thing up, and then I can give them some kind of round figure in gold pieces or silver or whatever it would cost to do general repairs to your equipment. And even with um, modern day stuff, people will be like, I need shit. I think we're, we're, you know, we're low on ammo. We lost a gun. Uh, shit, we should probably go get more stuff, right? Um, so doing that, you know, okay, it'll cost you about X amount to get your armory back up to full where you've got a box of grenades, dynamite, whatever. I'm picking large generalities, but, um, I don't mind it. I actually applaud it when the players come up and say, Hey, I want to take care of my equipment. And sometimes that's when players do that. It's very, it's not necessarily ad hoc, but it's not usually based on a mechanic in a game system. It's just the player saying, Hey, I'd like to spend some of my money, in which case I'm always willing to take players' money. Uh, but if their characters want to spend money, <laughs> it's always good to take the characters' money as a game master as well. So I uh, I think that's pretty handy when the players want to do that, and I encourage it. Sometimes when a player does that, and uh, the kind of a, what do you get for a reward from that can be a role-playing experience, right? So I want to go do that. Oh, while you're doing that and you're at the shop, you encounter this person. Or while you're there, you find this rumor or you find out this thing. So people who offer up as a player to uh, to deal with this kind of wear and tear on equipment and so forth, I reward them with information usually or opportunities to get better equipment. You're at a shop, you're working with somebody, and you happen to find the only dwarven swordsmith in town, and he likes to cut of your jib. He likes the fact that you guys went to the ancient dwarven mines, and that's how come your shield's all battered. Here's one from my clan type of thing. Or, oh, you're a, you're a smuggler like me. Here, let me show you a little something that I got in the back. You know, when characters are, when players step up with their characters to do that type of thing, that's kind of how I like to reward them for that type of role playing. You ever have your players do that, Sean, or are they just too busy trying to avoid your steely gaze? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) It's a bad job to laugh. I have players do that. Do they? No. No? Nah. What kind of people do you play with, man? <laughs> That's the thing, right? I'm teasing. Yeah. <clears throat> so not every group is going to want to do that. Not every, and I've played with plenty of p- people over the years who never think of that type of thing. Or one person in the group gives a shit about it and the other guy doesn't. Um. So that's fine. But I honestly think apart from... Combat itself, like, oh, I'm out of ammo. Oh, my, the power on my shield is down or my armor's broken or I something bad happened, as we talked about before. You know, sacrifice that breastplate or the ogre kills you. Um, <clears throat> but when you step out of it, I think narrative-based is more fun as a game master to be able to say, well, you guys have been sleeping in a swamp for the last two weeks. You probably want to, you know, clean out that grungy armor or you've been in the middle of the desert or wherever it is that you happen to be adventuring. See previous episodes about nature and uh, weather and so on causing again, wear and tear and equipment. But Sean, I think you're dead right. If you go too far with it, narratively speaking, then it becomes this horrible trip to the shopping mall. Every other session where people got to replace their socks and that type of thing wears really thin, really fast too. So it's kind of used judiciously or sparingly. Well, we didn't even we didn't even touch a master or masterwork. Oh, that's a good point too. So tell me more. Well, masterwork is it gives you uh, does it give you a plus one? Yes, what is the mechanic behind it. Yeah, masterwork was or- usually, if my memory serves correctly, a plus one to hit or just a plus one to damage. It was just one of those, right? Was, yeah, what and non-magical. Correct. Just it was it was not it wasn't an orc or goblin piece of shit piece of metal. Yes, it was tougher, cooler, better made. Tougher, cooler, much much better. Much much better. I think From the gotcha, um, gotcha oh, in that? the movie. Okay, watch. It's a reference. Faster, quicker, much much safer. I have not seen that. Yeah, I think guy goes to France, and that's he gets in a taxi cab. Okay, huh? Interesting. Yeah. So masterwork, I think, <laughs> <laughs> just to drop that, uh, masterwork, I think is is cool because 
The other thing that masterwork is supposed to do is supposed to be lighter, faster, much, much better. And if it is, and narratively speaking, that person who has masterwork armor, masterwork, whatever, they paid top dollar for something because, hey, last time we went shopping and uh, and Sean encouraged me to buy the masterwork armor, backpack, boots, shield, cloak, blah, blah, blah. I spent extra and Brett didn't. Hey, guess what? Brett has to replace his gear. Brett has to spend more money on stuff. I don't have to fuck around with that because I bought some Masterwork stuff. It's tougher. It lasts longer. So that's another reason from a resource drain perspective. It's one more thing to do to players, uh, to their characters, I should say, where they you know, buy the better quality stuff up front. You don't have to repair it or replace it as often going forward. So that makes sense as well. That's a good point. You can even do that with with um <clears throat> with guns, modern day and even sci-fi stuff. You can buy stainless steel barrels, you can buy synthetic stocks, you can buy very um tough, um physically tough, can take a lot of abuse, firearms, archery equipment, and so on. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you can even apply the the masterwork component there. It's just the price point's a lot higher, right? You know, you want a decent optics and everything else for that really kick ass sniper rifle you have, well it's gonna cost more. You can get the cheap stuff, but it's not waterproof. It doesn't hold at zero. It breaks or whatever the case may be. You get the high-end stuff, it lasts a lifetime. And there's, you know, there's it costs a lot, but there's a reason for it. So that's a good point. Right. I like the masterwork yeah. stuff. Yes. And the other piece is that for me, when I've had when there's been magic in place in a in your fantasy worlds, magic has that I kind of allow magic to last forever in a way. Does it get worn out? Because when you find it as treasure in a lost ancient mine, you're like, oh, it's a magical leather bag. Well, it's magical for Christ's sake. It lasts forever. It really, it also adds, it's a plus one dagger. That's really fucking cool because this dagger never rusts. Nothing bad ever happens to it. I'm going to hang on to this one. You know, I have a plus two longsword and a plus one hand. They're even the least plusiest of weapons still have the intrinsic value of, well, when the narrative says that, the haft on my regular wooden axe would have rotted or busted on me. No, it's even better than masterwork, and it never needs to be repaired. It always stays sharp, or whatever the case is. And even magical cloaks type of thing. That makes sense. I like that masterwork idea. That's cool. All right. Anything else, man? No, but we didn't get into even like sh- like when you're in sci-fi and ships go to shit. Because those could get into plot points about like, oh, now your freaking hyperdrive's broke, and where do you go to get it fixed? And then that's driving you in a particular direction, and then who knows what that looks like. Well, that's a really good point because you actually did that to us in our uh, Star Wars game, yeah, where that's we what were I do. we had bad converters, we had bad um, whatever positron gliders or whatever the fuck we were using to replace the damn ship with. My mechanic, we were constantly trying to fix stuff, and we had to go get parts all the freaking time because the ship kept breaking. So that's another good piece is that just because it's like your horses, right? They need shoeing or um, uh, tack and harness need to be repaired periodically. So that makes, yeah, that's another good piece. Cars need wheels, they need oil changes, tune-ups on motors and all that stuff. So it's one more thing to, again, narratively speaking, as you used it perfectly in Star Wars was, hey, you have a bad axe on the ship or your shields are down, the generators are broken, the laser turret isn't working right. You can keep going without it. Sure, go ahead. Or, based on the fact that you're freaking space pirates, you should probably get the damn laser turret fixed. So you gotta go find somewhere to dock. And that drives you into the next adventure. So yeah, taking your larger equipment, your item, your gear, your larger piece of gear, wear and tear on it a bit, then forces you to go to a certain place, which is a great GM fiat type of thing where they kind of push you towards another adventure seed. I like that idea. I hadn't even thought about that. Good point. Yeah. Look at you. Smart. I like it. So, uh, anyway, anything else? I think we're good. No. I th- <clears throat> Excuse me. So, if anybody else out there has thoughts, ideas of how they d- how they do it, what they do around this type of thing, it's, not, it's one of those pieces that I think Sean made a very good point, as I said before, is that if you go too far, it's very bookkeeping. Check the ledger. How many times have you used... But I think, narratively speaking, it can be fun. It can make those shopping trips a little more interesting. And it just dashes of realism where you need it as opposed to um, forcing it down the player's throats. So anyway, like to hear what other people have to say about it. 
Let's move on, man. Right. Die roll. All right. Brett's got a couple. I got a few. We got one from listener Brett. Yes. So um, Roger Breslet and uh, S. John Ross and a few other people pointed this out. Somebody even hit me up on Twitter about it, too. The Humble Bundle for Warhammer Fantasy Role-Playing Game. Um, 90% of it, 99% of it, I should say, is all second edition stuff. There is a awesome copy of the first edition rule book at the $20 level. <clears throat> so I went in for the $20 level because it is the best PDF scan that I've ever seen for that book. It is totally really cool and very, very worth it. Lots of really cool books. So you've talked about, uh, you've heard me talk about it. I'm running Warhammer campaign right now for my home group. Roger and Tim Stone and a bunch of other guys like this, the Motusano Warhammer person as well for fantasy. So take a look at it. Might be kind of cool to get into. Last one is um, there were some, uh, <clears throat> one of the world's oldest functioning libraries. Um, they had found some lost languages, centuries old texts that were erased and then written over by monks at a St. Catherine's monastery in Egypt. A uh, neat little, neat little story. I just figured I would pass this on to folks. It's one more thing for your Cthulhu games or any kind of lost languages. When the players need something, they need that hidden clue or whatever, this is just one more thing you can take and totally game the hell out of it. Over to you, Sean. Uh, Geek Wood Store. So if you like uh, something uh, holidays, uh, believe it or not, holidays aren't that far away. At least the shopping season. That's, uh, yeah, that's check, true. Check out the Geek Wood Store. It's got some nice um, wood made items that are of geekery in nature, including like things you could store your dice in. It's got like Star Trek um, badges that you can buy. It's pretty neat. Nice stuff. Very good looking. Uh, second one, out of this world, wizard study game room. So if I get my, uh, litter box studio in order, this is what I'm going to do to my, my basement. I think it looks pretty freaking cool. Holy crap. Cause it's not redecorating the entire basement. It's just redecorating like one corner. I did not look at this link until just now. Wow. That's pretty cool. That is <laughs> So if you look at the video, there's a person that made it look like like a portal. And so they just kind of decorated one corner to make it look like rock and stone. And then they, behind it, put down different colored LEDs that would like fluctuate. So it looks like this weird portal is sticking out of the corner of your room. And then it's got like old chests in there that houses some of the books. So it doesn't take a huge... You know, some of these game rooms are super awesome. I mean, you have to you redo the whole place, but this is kind of neat. Oh, it's very cool. Kind of minimalist, but yet maximum yes. maximum effect. Very cool. Last one, our friend Alex Kammer, uh, director of Gamehole Con, is tweeting a photo of every D&D collectible that he has. So on Twitter, we'll have a link to his Twitter account, and he's just kind of a, putting a blurb up there. He's also on Facebook doing it, but it's like he's pulling out like, hey, back in this and this, this is this thing, and this is when it was published, blah, 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 and some some little minor fact about the particular item that he displays. He takes a picture of it and puts it out there. It's it's really cool. I John and I have been fortunate enough to actually be in the game hole itself and see his collection in person, and it's like the... It, you treat his you treat his stuff with respect, obviously, because it's it's amazing collectibles. But it's like the the best kind of collection where he's like, yeah, take a look at it. <laughs> you, go, you pick it up and take a look at it. Just you know, don't be stupid and break the shrink on it. You'll be fine. All right. So one of our listeners, Bruce Cunnington, had pointed out a link, Portals of London, which I thought was pretty freaking gameable. Uh, how to fold London Part One: Finding the Twin the Twin Chills. Uh, it's really really cool. It's just kind of a lot of different components of just different places in London that are really, really neat. And uh, if you're playing Book Hounds of London, as I like to do with my Trailer Cthulhu game, this is another good thing to throw out there. So thank you to Bruce for that. Yeah. Thanks, Bruce. What are you talking about next week, Brett? Next week, Forrest Gary had thrown this topic to us over on Twitter, and I wanted to bring it up here. Writing versus running an adventure. Um, 
I've taken a crack at writing adventures, and I know people also write them for themselves where they're doing different components of it. But then they're where it comes down to the running of the adventure versus the writing of it and how they may or may not merge. So I thought we'd take a crack at that little more uh, upscale topic as opposed to just dealing with arms and equipment getting rusty in the swamp. Talk about something a little more, uh, a little more upscale. See if we can, see if we can handle it. Excellent. I look forward to it, Brett. I'll do my best, sir. Excellent. Well, all right. That's an episode of Gaming EMBS, which has been brought to you with the help from the following patrons: Christian Sexy Voice, Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swix, Brett's biggest fan, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrester, Gary, Mark Anthony, Benedetti, Dirk Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian. Harry Bellado, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnson, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Tim Shorts, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Lost Sailor Graham, Minor, Tom McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason Christopher Gray, Finnolf, Mark of Roylick, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Rodrigo Beowulf, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Chris Sterl. Eric the Hoff Hoffman, Jerry Rasher, Soldiers of Misfortune RPG, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Gordon Cranford, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Evan Harrison Cass, Ray Otis, Mark, CMG Clover, Eli Kurtz, Ron Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, The Closet Gamer, John Hammersley, Craig Huber, and Xavier G. So I don't butcher his last name. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the entire show for a month. Consider going over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. For the month of September, we're going to donate to the Houston Food Bank. Awesome. Cool. My damn dog's barking. I'm going to go and wring his neck. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. I'm not. I love my dog. But he's driving me crazy. All right. Well, this one has been a pleasure, Brett. It has. This is a special show tonight. It was a three-year anniversary. Three-year anniversary. Not too bad. What is that? Wool? I think it's wool or... or uh, At seven. Yeah, it might be seven. <laughs> so I think, Toler- is I think seven. tolerance. Tolerance may be three. We'll continue, to, tolerance. Tolerance. We'll continue to tolerate each other for another year. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all.